0: All right, let's pray. Let's get in our hearts. Let's settle in. Let's open our spirits. Let's open our mind. Let's let the word of the living God bring revelation to us today. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is life-giving. I just thank you, Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, that your word increases and that the number of disciples multiply in this congregation. Father, I thank you, Psalm 81 and verse 10, as I open my mouth wide today, you fill it with your words. Father, I thank you, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7, that I speak with knowledge this morning. And according to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, I speak as a mighty oracle of God. I speak as one today whom God is empowering with your word. God, let it come and bring change. Let your truth shake us and bring revelation of who you are and how much you love us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We are in a series called Heroes Versus Villains. And this is our third installment. We have one more week next week, so if you have missed a couple of these series, uh, we will uh, pull this back up on, and uh, review this a little bit, and you can check these out online. We put all these messages online. Heroes versus villains, because it ain't over until it's over. How many of you have ever said that? It ain't over until it's over. If you've watched any Tennessee football this year, you understand sometimes it ain't over until it's over. And uh, some of those games have been not so fun to watch. Some of the Tennessee games have really inspired me to really honestly never give up. You're down 20 points in the fourth quarter, and you come back and win on a four-second play. It encouraged me, and, and it spurred me on that, you know what? It ain't over until it's over, and we should never give up. Just look at your neighbor and say, don't ever give up. Come on, just encourage them. Don't ever give up. So heroes versus villains. We've been talking about the villains that we all face. We've been talking about the things in our life uh, that are are meant to tear us down, and we believe that Jesus is our hero. We believe that he is coming again to eradicate evil, and we believe that he is going to save the day. And so we've been talking about the villains in our life that lock us up, the villains in our life that keep us condemned, and the villains in our life that stop us from doing what God wants us to do. You know, I began to think about this great battle that happened in heaven. There was a tremendous battle between Satan and Jesus, and there actually happened to be a video camera, and they caught this great battle between this hero and this villain. I want you to check this out, and this may not be the battle that you've seen, But this is the real battle between heroes and villains. Check out this video.
1: I am so glad we're having this competition finally everyone's going to know that i am the best programmer i did facebook google nsa healthcare.gov that's not my best one well the last time we were here
0: i saw you fall as lightning from heaven this is my beloved son listen to him i am the righteous judge the contest for the best software developer will begin on your mark get set Go.
1: It <laughs> Always gets the last
0: word, please. Oh. It is written. It is written. It is said.
1: What? The power went out? This is a laptop. This this isn't fair. I I lost everything. Come on.
0: The storms of life come to all. Let us see if Jesus fared any better. Yeah, it's right there.
1: Come on. This isn't isn't fair. He's got everything. I, I got nothing.
0: It's right there. It's all there.
1: I lost everything. And he has everything. That's not fair. How did he do it? How how did he do it?
0: (laughs) Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Oh, come on. Isn't that great? Jesus saves. How many of you will get that driving home? How many of you knew the devil invented Facebook? Come on, man. Now we know the truth. Amen. But we, we all have this image of heroes, and we all have this image of villains, and we all have this image of good versus evil. And we know there are real struggles in life, things that we, we deal with. When you watch these movies with heroes and you watch the movies with villains, no one really gets hurt. There's really no harm. there's no emotional baggage. there's no injury. But in life, how many know there are real casualties? In life, there is real pain. There is real bad in our world and real evil. And so we want to surrender to Jesus, who is our hero. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to just jump into verse 4, just for time's sake. 1 John chapter 4. This is one of the best passages in all the Bible. Growing up, my mother instilled this in me, and it still blesses me today. 1 John chapter 4, and let's look at verse 4. 4. When you got it, say, oh yeah. yeah? All right. If you don't have your Bible, say, oh me? Okay, that's more like it. That's what I thought. Look at First John chapter 4 and verse. Let's jump down to 4, Jared, if you can, just for time's sake, but you belong to God. See, this is a great thing. When I'm a child of God, when I surrender to the Lord, I am a child of God. There's a very popular Christmas song, and, and I used to work at the mall, and I worked in jewelry. I sold diamonds and watches and all that kind of stuff, and every Christmas, they would play this song, and it was this lady singing, we're all God's children. We're all children of God, and every time I would hear that song, I would want to run and jump into a trash can because we are not all children of God. We are all God's creation. Everyone in this room, you are a creation of God, but the Bible plainly says, to him who believes... To the man or woman who believes, God gives you the power to become a child of God. You are not automatically a child of God. We are all creations of God. That's why we need to invest and invite and include, and that's why we must be about the Father's business, and that's what our job is, ladies and gentlemen, is to tell people how they can become a child of God, but when you surrender to Jesus and make him Lord of your life, you belong to God. Amen, that is so powerful. I love it, I love it, I love it. He says, my dear children, you've already won a victory. You have already won a victory. I'm not trying to win the battle. Man, I love uh, growing up in church. I would go to church with my grandmother, and she went to a very traditional denominational church. And there was always this one old brother that would stand up and he'd go, Saints, pray for me. I've been fighting the devil all week. And, uh, and you know, I didn't know any better, but he just said, I've been fighting the devil all week and, and I'm trying to win the battle. And now, knowing what I know about the Bible, stop fight. Number one, put your teeth back in. Can I have an amen? <laughs> number two, stop fighting the devil all week and let Jesus be your victor. You know, he said, I've been running from the devil all week. Well, that's your problem. The Bible says you submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee I'm not running from the devil when I submit to God and resist the devil he will flee from me come on can I have an amen out there that's good preaching you know and hey check this out the degree that you submit to God will be the degree to which you can resist the devil if you're not submitting to God, number one, you will have no power, no authority to resist the devil. So let's submit to God his plan and purpose for our life. Dear children, you belong to God. You've already won the victory over those people because the spirit, the spirit, Go uh, if you can, Jerry, go back to 1 John 4. Because the spirit of him who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. The spirit of God on the inside of you is greater than the spirit that is in the world. The spirit of the hero Jesus on the inside of you is greater than all the villains we face out on the world. Isn't that good news? So we begin to just walk through some things about fighting these villains. We begin to talk about the struggles that the Apostle Paul had. You have to hear this message in context of the Apostle Paul. Before Paul became a Christian, he was a Christian killer. He was a persecutor of the church. He would run into meetings like this and drag people out by their hair and throw them in jail. He would say, kill that person because they followed Christ. So I want you to, to, with that reference in mind, we have to view these points because how did Paul overcome the villains in his life? And when Paul would kneel down to pray, how did he get past the guilt of his past? When he would, when he would go to pray for someone to be healed, how did he get past the torment in his mind of all the pain and suffering he'd caused others? People And the Bible gives us some really good points about that. So I gave you really vital roadmaps to defeating your villains. Check these out. You'll see all three on the screen. Number one, recognize the battle is real. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in a battle. We're in a fight. The, the, the best thing Satan can do is convince you that there's no fight. You're not in a battle. There's no such thing as spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is not a word we hear a lot in this culture. Have you know, back in the 80s and 90s, everything was spiritual warfare. Well, I'm coming to church today and my my chair won't close. It's spiritual warfare. You know, we need to cast the devil out of the chair. I mean, the chair does not have a devil. Can I have an amen? And so, but we've got to recognize the battle is real. Satan is having his way with the people of God because we are asleep and we do not realize we're in a fight. Listen, mom and dad, you're in a fight for your kids. Listen, brothers and sisters, you're in a fight for your family. And we've been sitting by passively for far too long, letting Satan run wild and do whatever he wants to do, steal, kill, and destroy because we've been asleep and we've not realized we're in a battle. First Peter 5, 8 says, you have an enemy. And he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, I'm not going to be a whom that he devours. Can I have an amen out there? So we've got to recognize the battle is real. Number two, you've got to remember to forget. Remember to forget this is our review. Look at your neighbor and say what was your name again? <laughs> we got to remember to forget when Paul would pray and seek God He had to remember to forget his past failures He had to remember to forget all the negative things that he'd done in his life where he could never move on with God number three We've got to reach for the right weapon We got to reach for the w- right weapon and we begin to talk to you about the weapon of addiction how many of you know someone who has struggled mightily with addiction? I mean, we all do. So I feel like the Lord gave me a specific formula To overcome addiction, God will set you free by grace and faith alone. God can set you free if it's drugs, if it's prescription medicine, if it's alcohol, if it's food. Do you know that you can be addicted to food? Come on, anybody say amen out there. If you can be addicted to uh, being dependent upon other people, there's all kinds of addictions. There's uh, obviously the addiction of lust, and there's all kinds of addictions. God can set you free from cocaine in a moment but you may have to do some things to stay free. God may set you free and deliver you. Joseph shared his testimony last week. He was instantly set free from alcohol, instantly set free from prescription drugs, but he had to move out of the city. God may set you free, but you may have to do some things to stay free. Check out the formula here for addiction. Look at what I felt the Spirit of God dropped in my heart. I'd never heard this, never seen it, and never read it anywhere. I felt like the Lord gave me this specifically. Number one is acceptability. This is how we absolutely win over addiction. Acceptability. Accept there's a problem. And if you're in here today and you're not struggling with addiction, you know someone that may be addicted and overcome. It may be running someone's marriage. It may be running someone's family. It may be running someone's career. I talked to a young man just last week that was fired from his job because of a drug test. How many know we need to accept we have a problem? And not only do we accept, Brother Rick, that we have a problem, we accept that God wants us free. So many people, when they're wrapped up in this addiction and this struggle, they don't ever come to the terms that God really wants them free. Number one, accept that what you're addicted to is harmful to you, hurting your family. How many know our choices are not made in a vacuum? My choices affect my entire family. Number two is accountability. And we gave you some guidelines. They need to be on another spiritual level than you are if you're going to be accountable. They need to be of the same sex unless it's your spouse. They need to um, be, they need to have a consistent track record of confidentiality. I don't want to tell Bob something and Bob get mad at me and put all my stuff on Facebook. I mean, no, it's not good for our relationship. And so they need to be on another level uh, with God of where you want to go. And they need to be a mature follower of Christ and they need to be able to help you. Can I tell you something real quick along these lines? Don't share your problems with people that can't help you. Do not share your problems with people that cannot help you. It's not helpful. It's not going to be beneficial. Find someone godly that can help you and then share some things and, and be accountable. We talked about light exposing darkness and Satan can't hide in the light. And then accessibility. So number one, acceptability. Number two, accountability. Number three, accessibility. The Bible says in Matthew 5, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Meaning if the TV offends you, throw it out. Meaning, get away from the city. Joseph had to move out of Nashville to separate himself. You've got to limit your accessibility to the thing that you were addicted to. Now, I want to jump in today to some new ground. Are you ready? I want to jump in today on another villain that we all face from time to time. And this is the villain of depression and discouragement. Now I know that between Sunday mornings between ten thirty and twelve nobody fights discouragement and nobody fights depression in this house. But from time to time we all face depression, we all face discouragement. So how do we deal with the enemy, the villain of discouragement? How many know depression is a real thing? You know, depression is a real legitimate struggle. Discouragement is a real legitimate thing. And there are some physical things that go on in our bodies that can contribute to that, which is why it's important to eat right. Oh, can I have an amen from Samantha? Come on, amen. Have you no bad food, bad mood? Oh, come on. Y'all don't like that. They're not liking this preaching, Rick. That's why it's important that we eat right. That's why it's important that we take care of our bodies, because a lot of what we do, and there's a lot in our bodies that can contribute to discouragement, depression. But there is also a very spiritual side. How many of you would be honest and say at some time in the past, not the past 10 minutes, but at some time in the past, you've really fought with discouragement and depression? I will raise my hand first. Maybe it's triggered by the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's triggered by tragedy. Maybe it's triggered by uh, something emotionally happens. There's, there's all kinds of uh, situations and circumstances. Losing a job. Losing a child. There's all kinds of things. Losing uh, you know, your, your poor self-image. There's all kinds of things that can trigger and spark depression. And you spiral down and don't think you'll ever get out. And you begin to accept that you're just depressed. You begin to accept that you're just dealing with depression. Well, I want to tell you that by the authority of the Holy Spirit that God has more in store for you than just having to deal with depression the rest of your whole life Now I'm not saying it's going to be a light switch uh, I'm not saying say it's going to just happen overnight, but God has a plan to help you overcome uh, Depression and discouragement and it is a legitimate battle Look with me at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. Check this out. Let's look at God's Word So we, we talked about the weapon of addiction we talked about how to overcome that. Now we're going to talk. Jared, can you go to the next one here? We're going to talk about the weapon of depression and Discouragement And what is the root cause of that? Look at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. Do you have it? Is it working? Okay, Proverbs 13, 12 is the computer thinks about what it wants to do. Listen, it this hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. There is something in our innate character and something in our nature that we want to hope. And when we hope and when we hope and when we hope and when we're let down and let down and when we're let down, down, and when things don't work out and we don't see the the movement we don't see the progress the bible says in proverbs thirteen twelve, It makes the heart sick hope deferred makes the heart sick But it says a fulfilled dream is a tree of life meaning that along the path of god We need to see some victory every now and then along the path of god We need to be around people that can help us see that god loves us and has a great plan for our life Look with me at Proverbs 18 and verse 14. Is this good? Or are you all depressed today? Are we all all bummed out? Look at Proverbs 18 and verse 14. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? And I begin to meditate on depression. I begin to meditate on discouragement. Although we, we may think that it is, it is outward. It is really an inside thing. It really starts on the inside. And so getting, uh, getting alone with God and letting God fill your spirit over time and over time will help you pull you out of that pit. It, sometimes the light switch just flips and the depression, discouragement is gone. But many times it's a process and God wants to walk you through that. What I I feel this very strong. You got to do the next right thing you got to make the next right decision. you got to continue to do what you know to do. And I think back to some folks in the Bible that had to walk through those very same things. You've got to, if you've made bad decisions and you're in a place of darkness and you're in a place where you haven't seen a lot of victory, continue doing what you know to do. Make the next right decision and God will lead us in that. Look at this PowerPoint for life. This is so true. You'll, you'll agree. Satan will often exploit or exaggerate the situation. He'll take advantage of someone who is depressed at a point of weakness. Why do you think Satan comes to you when you're weak and depressed? Because it's a point of weakness. Satan will often exaggerate situations and he'll often come to you and and he will take advantage of you because that's his plan. Now I began to think about a prescription for discouragement. Uh, They give medicine now. Certain depressions, they can treat that with certain medicines. And I'm not saying I'm for that or against that. That's between you and your doctor. And I don't... If you're on some kind of medicine, don't you dare just... Quit unless you hear God telling you to quit, amen? I'm not I'm not saying go flush it down the commode. But what I'm saying is sometimes medicine can't fix what we need to fix internally. And so I'm not at all saying, you know, if you're on medicine, quit and all this. But I just believe that there's more that the Spirit of God can do. I believe in medicine. If you need it, take it. I'll be the first one to help you. But I also believe there's something on the inside that God wants to do to help you uh, get off that medicine and and get, get into a place of joy and get into a place of freedom, amen? Look at Psalm 3. I love this. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. How many of you ever felt that way? Oh Lord, everybody's against me. Else, so many against me. Look here at verse 2. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. Why why do you why are you doing all this church stuff? I was met with a man this week and his family doesn't understand why he's seeking God. Family doesn't understand why you turning to God. God will never come and rescue you. This is just a bunch of re- religious baloney. This is just a bunch of fairy tales. God will never rescue. Look at verse 2, Jared. Check it out. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. And then he says here, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head. Notice here what he's doing. You are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Your translation may say it this way You are the lifter of my head. Look at your neighbor and say, He's the lifter of our heads. So the enemy is saying no one will help you the family saying God won't come and rescue you But notice here the psalmist encouraged himself in the Lord I want to say this when I'm real balanced Because I have compassion for you. I've been in some very depressing situations I've been in some very discouraging situations, but I want to I want to encourage you here with compassion Okay, so don't hear me say something. I'm not saying The Bible says that David, one of the the psalmist David, it says he encouraged himself in the Lord, meaning sometimes I cannot wait on someone else to encourage me. I cannot sit in my pool of depression and I cannot sit in my pool of discouragement and just wait for Jay to come and encourage me. Jay may never come my way and drop me the encouragement that I need. So the Bible says encourage yourself in the Lord notice here back in verse 1 of Psalms 3 I've got so many enemies so many are against me verse 2 says God will never rescue him But look at verse 3 the psalmist began to say but you O Lord are a shield around me You are my glory. You are the one who lifts my head. You hold my head high This summer we had a chance to take our kids to some pools and swim and my babies love water and and uh they when they were even smaller, they would always want to go to the deep end. And uh George and Rita have a pool and it's got a little slope. And I remember one time I was holding Ava and, and she wanted to keep going to the deep end, and she kept saying, Go deeper, daddy, go deeper. And so here I'm holding Ava, and then you know I'm getting shorter and Ava's getting taller, and next thing I know, I'm I'm all the way under the water, and I'm just all I can do to keep her little head above the water. But guess what dad was gonna do at any cost? Keep Ava's head above. Above the water. I'm yelling everyone, woman help come to help me. I want to do anything I can do to keep my little daughter's head above the water. And that's the same way the Spirit of God is. It may look like you're sinking. It may look like you're in the deep end. It may look like you're in way over your head. But underneath you is the Spirit of God, and He is lifting up your head. You see, we're going to read a story in a minute about a woman who was who was bent down, and she couldn't look up. And Jesus lifted her up and said, Woman, you're loosed. And we're going to read this. But what happened is she was down, and God said, I'm going to lift up your head. He is the lifter of our head. When we're fighting depression and discouragement, our heads are low. And God says, I want to lift your head. Let me be the lifter of your head. So let me give you here three levels to leave the low for the lifted. Are you ready in this sneaky? Three levels to leave the low for the lifted. Check this out. We're going to give you three levels to leave the low for the lifted. Here we go. Number one. Hey, alliteration is not as easy as it looks. I wish you people would appreciate it just a little bit more. Number one, be around the lifted. Check it out, Jared. You'll see it here. Number one, be Around the lifted. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, you need a church like this. You can't be around negative nanny all the time. At some point, you got to get around Susan Mills who's encouraging. Can we encourage Susan Mills this morning? Come on. You got to be around the lifted. If you're ever going to get out of the pit, you got to get with someone who has been in the pit and is now on the other end of the pit. You've got to be around the lifted. Be around those that are encouraged. Be around those that are joyful. Now, I know, I know, when you're all bummed out. And you're in a bad mood. The last place you want to come is here. (laughs) Because Gail's going to be happy and loving on you. And Kathy's going to be happy and loving on you. And Kaylee's going to be happy and loving on you. And Miss Sarah, who always has such a good attitude, Miss Sarah's going to be happy and loving on you. And when you're bummed out, the last thing you want to do is come to a place like this. But you need to be around the lifted. We must be around those who can encourage in, to put in, courage, encourage, to put in. Courage. Look with me if you can at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. We're going to leave the low for the lifted. If we're going to fight this villain of depression and discouragement, we've got to do this scripture. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Look at verse 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another and not neglect our meeting together. Can I have an amen from everybody in church today? I get a kick out of pastors, man. They'll get up and preach this. Now, let us not neglect meeting together. And it's like the people that are not neglecting meeting together are here. (laughs) Don't beat me up. I'm here, preacher. Come on. But the Bible says, let us not stop coming to church. Let us not neglect meeting together. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying this for my benefit. You have to trust me. You have to trust my heart. But the worst thing you can be is an inconsistent church attender. I'm telling you. Now, I still love you. If you're here once a month, I still love you. If you're twice a month, you're awesome, we love you, thank God for you. The worst thing that you can do for your walk with God and your spiritual relationship is be an inconsistent church attender. If I were you, and I lived in the world we live in, I'd be in every life group I could be in, I'd be in every small group I could be in, I'd be in every ministry team I could be in, I'd do everything I could do to stay connected to the body of Christ. Because Satan is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever seen those National Geographic Things where there's one little lamb that's like isolated. Guess what? That becomes lamb chops. (laughs) Come on, for the wolf. But if the wolf can't, can't penetrate when there's safety, that's why the animals travel in herds. That's why birds travel in flocks. That's why church people need to stick together. Can I have an amen? And I'm not telling you that just for my gain. I'm not telling you that for your benefit. The worst thing you can do is become isolated from the body of Christ because you are alone and you are a target. And so we need to be around the lifted. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're not one of them people. <laughs> I'm glad you're not one of them people that neglect this. Now notice this here, but encourage one another. So when we come to church, we have an assignment. When Carrie walks in the door, he has an assignment. When Andrea walks in the door, if she has a ministry assignment or not, she's got a mandate from God. Ladies and gentlemen, can't just be Pastor James and Tara encouraging people. Can't just be Rick and Susan encouraging people. When we walk in the door, we have a mission. It is to find ways to motivate one another to do love and good works. And it is to encourage one another, especially now, even though the day of his return is drawing near. Say this with me say, I have an assignment. Yes. So when we come to church, it's not just, I'm, I'm coming to get fed today. You know what? We need to feed ourselves during the week, right? When we come to church, we need to encourage one another and get spiritual assignments, get our tank filled up so we can go out into a lost and dying, hurting world. So number one, be around the lifted. I just want to hug somebody, man. Come on, Bob. I just want to be around the lifted right now. Come on, encourage Bob. I just want a big hug. I feel a little discouraged this morning, so I just needed a hug. Is, did we have coffee this morning? Were there donuts and coffee? You all didn't drink near enough coffee and donuts. Right, check this out. Not only do we want to be around the lifted, we're leaving the low for the lifted, okay? Number two, check this out. Here we go. This is what we can do. We can be with the lifter. That's a capital L for the capital JC. That's Jesus Christ for those of you that are a little slow. <laughs> we want to be around the lifted, and we need to be with the lifter. We won't take time to look at it, friends, but if you read John 15, it's all about being connected to the vine. If you are in a low place of discouragement, low place of depression, you must spend time with the Prince of Peace. If you want the peace of God, you've got to be with the God of Peace. We do that through worship. We do that through personal Bible study. See one of our staff. If you don't know how to do that, we can get you a devotional. We can help point you in that direction. It starts with prayer. Every time you fellowship with the Word of God, you're fellowshipping with Jesus. Do you know the Bible says Jesus is the Word of God? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you sit down and read Psalms, you're not just reading Psalms. You're having coffee with Jesus. When you sit down and read Proverbs, you're not just reading wisdom You're having lunch or dinner with Jesus, taking your lunch break with Jesus. Hey, how was your lunch break today? Who'd you hang out with? Man, I hung out with Jesus. Well, how'd you do that? I read his word. I worshiped. Put on a little CD and sang some praise and hang around believers. So we've got to be with a lifter. Number three, how many of you can feel yourself being elevated this morning? The tide is rising. The tide is rising. And a rising river rises everything in its path. And our river this morning is rising. We've been to a low place, depression and discouragement, and we are rising. We're going to be around the lifted. We're going to be with the lifter. And then I love this, be a lover and a laugher. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, be a lover. Be a lover. Hey, look at your other neighbor and say, second choice. (laughs) You need to be a laugher. There's so much wisdom here, and there's so much truth. I know this sounds goofy, but we need to be a lover, and we need to be a laugher. There's a spiritual principle in Galatians chapter 6. That says you will harvest what you plant. Say that with me. Say, I will harvest harvest. what I plant. So if you are a person who is discouraged and you are a person who is battling the villain of depression, you need encouragement. You need fellowship. You need connection. I hear people all the time, well, I just can't make any friends. Well, you walk around with a dadgum frown on your face the whole time. And it, it looked like your people are scared to say hello to you and you wonder why you don't have any friends. Come on, the Bible says if you want friends you got to show yourself friendly. That means you got to smile sometimes, okay? You can everybody wants to come and talk to me cuz I got a big smile. But some people walk around they just look like if you say something they're just going to snap on you. And then you wonder why you don't have any friends. Well, I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Please tell your face if you've got the joy of the Lord. If the joy of the Lord is really in your heart, would you notify the eyes and the ears and the mouth, okay? We've got to encourage people. You harvest what you plant. So if you are a person who is fighting the villain of discouragement, you need to give away what you need. At my lowest points, man, sometimes I'll be fighting a battle that nobody will know about, and I'll be pushing off discouragement. And I have to push it off just like you. You know, how many know you can't control a bird flying over your head, but you can sure stop it from nesting in your hair? You see what I'm saying? I can't stop the bird of discouragement and the bird of depression flying over my head. I can't stop those thoughts coming in my head, but I can sure make sure they don't stay there. And man, when I feel like depression is coming on me, when I when I go home and nobody manned me at all, and uh, there's anybody listening, and, and you know, when I'm fighting things, and I'm, I'm teasing there, but when I'm fighting real-life situations and discouragement, man, I will be more encouraging than you will ever, ever know. There's only very few people in this room that know what I walked through a couple of months ago. Uh, with our home and renovating our home and it was incredibly challenging and, and, and I talked to some people and didn't even know I had moved and, and uh, bought a house and renovated it and it took way more work and I was literally every night working on this house from like five to six o'clock at night till like 11 o'clock at night. I don't even remember Tate being born. <laughs> I just woke up and I'm like, oh, I have a son now. Praise God. We had a baby in that time. We moved, and no, hardly nobody knows how stressful that was. And I wasn't faking it. I wasn't just hiding it. But and I, I hit some points in that process where I was pretty discouraged. Like, oh dear me, am I ever going to get this done? Rick Mills came and helped, and several of you, you know, helped out. And I hit a few points where I was like, man, I, I have really. What have I done here? I don't know if I'll ever get this done. You know what I did? I, there would be Saturday nights that I would work till eleven or twelve o'clock at night, and come in here and preach on Sunday mornings. We found mold in our basement, and like I took out all the drywall. My contractor called me. He said, "Quit tearing up the basement," because <laughs> I was just—it was just, there were some very, very discouraging moments and times. But when I would come in here, I would be so encouraging to you. Do you know why? Because I needed encouragement myself. Now it's all done, all better, and all fixed. Come on, can we give God thanks? Amen. All good. The very hard time. And so you got to give away what you need. Look with me at Proverbs 17. Why do we show funny videos? Is it just to be funny? Why do we tell jokes? Why? A cheerful heart. Why do we laugh? How many of you didn't know it was okay to laugh in church before you started coming to church like this? Especially when we're going to really hit truth, it's really hard. And we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun. If you don't have a sense of humor, you need to look in the mirror. <laughs> Praise God. Why do we laugh? Why do we have joy? Was that mean? That was mean, wasn't it? that? Was mean. See, Jazz is having a sense of humor right now. Would y'all pay attention to the message instead of having your own little service over there? I'm just teasing. A cheerful heart, a merry heart, is what good medicine. Just laugh. Come on, just laugh. <laughs> you bunch of fakers, you. But you know what? A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Certain antibiotics my kids have been on, and they always want bubble gum flavor. I have to go and get the little pay extra and and all that and get the flavor. And Why? Because the sugar makes the medicine go down easier. I mean, it's easier to eat cake than it is broccoli sometimes. Come on. Although I like broccoli. Boy, Lillian's birthday is today. My little, sweet little Lillian is too. I bet she ate a whole can of icing yesterday. Man, we are terrible parents. Terrible. (laughs) It's all George's fault. He made a really nice cake. But uh, anyway, say it with me, ready? Let's read together. Ready? Read. A cheerful heart is good medicine. A broken spirit saps a person's strength. There have been times in my life where I've been discouraged. Times in my life where I've been depressed. And I will strategically go and buy the best Christian comedian that I can find. Notice Christian comedian. Let me say that again for those of you that are not listening. Christian comedian, okay? I will watch the best. I'll put on that little lady. What's her name? Chandra. Chandra Pierce or whatever Johnny W. is awesome. There's a thing called the Apostles of Comedy and man I will put those on I'll get it on YouTube. I'll do whatever and I will just sit and I will laugh until I cry Because the Bible says a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but the Bible says here that a a dry spirit a broken spirit saps a person's strength So when we're discouraged when we're low, we need to be a lover And we need to be a laugher Because discouragement, ladies and gentlemen, is oftentimes based on me and my situation, how I feel, what I'm going through. And so if you will get your mind off of you and put your mind on someone else. Hebrews chapter 10, let us think of ways to encourage one another. Let us think of ways to motivate to good love. If I'll get my mind off me and put my mind on Gail, if I'll get my mind off me and put my mind on Angela, how I can bless her and be a blessing. If I'll get my mind off me and put it on my family, how can I serve my family? How can I make my wife uh, a better home? How can I invest in my kids? If I'll get my thinking off of me, it's amazing how free you become because you begin to invest and think of other people. Because discouragement, depression oftentimes deal with me and my situation and my circumstance. And so if you are depressed and if you are discouraged, man, go and be a blessing. This weekend, our women are going to a a violence, a domestic violence shelter. So proud of Gail and Sabrina and Tara Lawson and Kaylee Powers. Come on, encourage these ladies for setting all this up. They're going to go minister to about 30 ladies and children. They're taking them dinner. They've got them welcome packs. I'm going to go with a wig on and a little makeup. Up around my face because I want the dinner that they're serving. they're taking 30 to, to 30 women who are down and out and who are not uh, in a good place and I'm t- if you are a woman in here and you are fighting with discouragement and you're fighting with depression, you need to be at that outreach. Come on, can we give God thanks because you harvest what you plant and so I'm giving you the key to leave the low for the lifted. If you need joy, so joy. if you need encouragement, so encouragement if you need peace. So, peace. Isn't that good news? So we've got the weapon of addiction. We've got the weapon for discouragement and depression. last one we're going to talk about for just a few minutes this morning is the weapon of uh, illness and disease and physical sickness. And and I don't have much time here. We could spend 12 to 15 weeks teaching on healing and and God's will to heal. And so this morning, wherever you are, I'm not trying to just... Uh, talk you into something, because if I talk Sabrina into something, somebody else can come along and talk her out of it. I'm going to show you just a snippet, just a tiny little portion in God's Word about what I'm calling the villain of physical illness and disease and sickness. And I want to just talk because this can be a real-life challenge. This can be very discouraging but God wants to help us overcome it. So proud of Kathy, we have a tremendous testimony here. God has worked in her life in such a powerful way. I want you to hear Kathy's story this morning and it's really gonna bless you.
1: I'm Kathy Johns, I'm a proud grandma of five grandkids and the Lord helped me get through a battle with cancer. In 2012, I was having symptoms. Uh, Called my doctor. She told me to get to the emergency room right away. I did. They sent me home, but made an appointment with an OBGYN. Went to see him. Um, They actually immediately took me to the women's pavilion, put me in the triage center, and over the next eight to 10 hours, I received three pints of blood transfusion. And uh, after that, we had a procedure done found out that I was riddled with endometrial cancer. Uh, We had surgery that should have been a one-day surgery, but ended up being a three-day hospital stay and a couple years of agony um, with numbness and nerve damage down my left side. When I went into recovery, I was supposed to get up and go home, but couldn't move my left side. Um, That was uh, unexpected, very hard, excuse me. But over the next two years, uh, I have recovered. I still walk with a bit of a limp, but um, I don't believe anyone can tell. Uh, It was very hard. It was stressful. Couldn't work during a lot of that time. Um, I did get back to work, though, and uh, just kind of went through it. Uh, The Lord sent a lot of good people to help me. But
0: as to this day, I am cancer-free, and I give Him all the glory. Come on, let's give God thanks. Kathy is totally healed, totally restored, and we thank God for that. And sickness and disease, friends, is a real, it is a real villain. It's a real thing that we need to look at and talk about. And I know, we all know when we start talking about this, our minds all go to the folks that we know, that we love and prayed for that didn't receive their healing. And so today I'm not addressing that. I don't have an answer for that. But what I know is God's word is 100% true. And God's word and his will for us is to be healed and restored because Kathy's making a difference for the Lord. She's got an assignment on her life and she needs to be healthy to fulfill that assignment on her life. So the first thing we need to ask is we have a question. The question is, where does sickness come from? there's a lot of denominational teaching uh that that says that god puts sickness on you just to teach you something but the question is where does sickness come from you I've got this on the screen here I think you'll see a couple of passages so if we think that god made us sick then what are we going to do to resist that sickness? If, if, so I have a question for you, Mr. Denominational Brother that thinks that God made you sick to teach you something or God made your kids sick to teach you a lesson or God, God put this sickness on you to punish you for whatever reason. Well, have you ever taken medicine? Yes, then you're going against the will of God. If God put this on you, why would you go to the hospital to get this thing off of you that God put on you? You are in rebellion to God. But that's, that's, we, nobody really thinks that. Nobody believes that. That's asinine. We, we, you know, if we're sick, we're all gonna go to the doctor. We're all gonna take medicine. We're gonna do whatever we can do to get better. But if you really believe that God put this sickness on you, then why would you try to fight it? Why not just lay down and take it and accept it as God's will for you? So we've gotta answer the question, where does sickness come from? Look with me at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. This is going to be good, amen? Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. When Adam sinned, boy, I'm going to have a talk with Adam when I get to heaven. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. If we look at uh, the Garden of Eden before sin, there was no sickness. If we look at heaven, which has not been affected by sin, there's no sickness. If we look at the life of Jesus Christ on the earth, while he lived around sin, he never sinned. And Jesus Christ did not deal with physical sickness. There are three areas we can see the perfect will of God. Number one is, is obviously in heaven. There's no sickness because sin was not in heaven. Number two is the Garden of Eden. No sin in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness. Number three is the life of Christ. No sin in the life of Jesus. There was no physical sickness in the life of Christ. So it says here in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Say this to me. Say, sin... Came into the world. Look what came because of sin. The Bible says Adam's sin brought death. Before Adam's sin, there was no death. So because we live in a cursed, fallen world, we are exposed to death. We're talking about depression and discouragement. Did you know that you start dying the day that you're born? (laughs) Don't you feel encouraged this morning? We start dying the day that we're born. The clock is ticking backwards. When Adam sinned, sin came into the world. It doesn't say God came into the world and brought death. What brought death? Wow, I'm I'm doing a really good job teaching these people. What came into the world? Sin. What brought death? Sin. So that death spread to everyone because we are all products and children of sin, if you will. So we've got to answer the question very clearly. Sin came into the world. Because Adam sinned, death passed to all men. Satan caused the first man to sin. Death and sickness now originates with Satan. Did God cause Adam to sin? Who tempted Adam and Eve to sin? Satan. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, it brought sin. What did sin bring? Death and all that goes with it. So we must trace sickness and disease back to the origin, which is Satan. And that's very clear in the Bible. Look at John 10.10. Love this. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. I call this, this is the dividing line in the Bible. Look at your name and go, duh. (laughs) This is the dividing line in the Bible. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the villain over here. Now we talk about the hero, Jesus Christ, it says, but Jesus said, my purpose is to give them life, a rich and satisfying, overflowing, abundant life. My purpose is to give life. Satan's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. This thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So if it kills, steals, and destroys, it's not of God. If it brings life and satisfaction and abundance, it's of God. Well, are you one of those Health and wealthy preachers, it depends on your definition of prosperity. If you, if you say prosperity is having enough to pay your bills and to take care of someone else, absolutely, call me a prosperity preacher. If you say it's to be healthy enough to fulfill God's will in your life, yes, call me a health and wealth preacher. But I believe here that the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. So anything that kills, steals, and destroys needs to be resisted. Anything that gives life and abundance and overflowing needs to be embraced and received. This is what the Word of God tells us. Now, I want to show you in the Bible an example of where sickness and disease is attributed directly to Satan. Look with me real quick at Luke 13. We're going to wrap this up. Luke 13, I want you to see this story. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. Teaching often precedes healing. That's why we teach before we pray. No, look here in verse 11. Jesus teaching. He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been over double for 18 years. 18 years, Carrie, she was unable to stand up straight. Look at verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called and said, Dear woman, God has put this sickness on you. Dear woman, what evil thing did you do for God to put this on you? Dear woman, you are crippled because God is teaching you a lesson. God is punishing you for your sin. No, friends, that's not at all what he said. He said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Now look here. Go with me back to verse 11. I want you to see this here Luke 13. I want you to see something very clear back in verse 11. He saw a woman... Who had been crippled, say it with me, ready? By an evil spirit. Wasn't God that crippled this woman. She was crippled by an evil spirit. Now, going down back to verse 12, Jesus saw her, said, Dear woman, you're healed of your sickness, set free, made whole. Look at verse 13. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand up straight. Oh, how she praised God. Another translation says, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. You are loosed from this sickness. So we can see this woman was crippled by an evil spirit. This is clearly attributed to Satan. You know that Jesus began his ministry by healing people? Jesus could have began his ministry by doing anything that he wanted to do. But Jesus began his ministry by bringing health and healing to the people of God. He began by showing compassion. Look with me at Matthew chapter 4. Jesus began his ministry by demonstrating the will of God Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogue and it says announcing the good news about the kingdom announcing the good news about the kingdom what is the good news about the kingdom of God and it says he healed every kind of disease and he healed every illness when the kingdom of God manifests in our midst we'll see healings of illness we'll see healings of disease And it says here, news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. People began to bring to Jesus all the sick. And whatever, somebody say whatever. Say it like a middle school student. Come on, say whatever. Whatever. What, oh, Denise, that was good. Come on, do it again. That was good. Say whatever. Whatever sickness they had, whatever disease, if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. He didn't just heal some, he healed them all. He was establishing the kingdom of God. Notice it said he went about teaching about the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is released and established in the earth, we'll see these sort of things. This is what I want to leave you with today. Look at this slide here, Jared. It's got four things, I believe, on it. Jesus came to do God.